Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of May 5th from youth pastor Alan Johnston. 24% of Gen Z, which is people born 1999 to 2015, 24% strongly agree with the statement, what is morally right changes over time. What is morally right and wrong changes over time. 24% of Gen Z believes that that strongly agrees with that statement. 21% of millennials, 18% of Gen X, and 12% of boomers strongly agree with the statement that what is morally right and wrong changes over time. What that means is we live in a world that believes that it's okay to do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy, right? How's that working out for us? A 2018 study from an insurance health insurer called Cigna found that most Americans report feeling lonely, left out, or unknown. You ever stop to realize that with all the technology, all the advancements, all the things that we've grown in, all the things that we've got, all the things that we can add to our possessions and all that kind of stuff, there's still a severe lack of hope in our world. Suicide rates, anxiety, depression, things like that are as bad or worse than ever. We live in a world that thinks it's okay to do whatever you want, that morality changes with time. It's okay to do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy. And yet the reality doesn't play out that way, right? Jesus challenged people about what they had as their hope, what they placed their hope in. Where is their hope? What is their hope found in? Some people placed it in their morality. Some people placed it in being superior to someone else because of the good things that they had done and the rules that they had followed. Some people found it in their possessions and their riches and the things that they accomplished and the things that they achieved and the things that they possessed. Others placed it in the hope of a conquering king that they believed would deliver them from bondage. But the hope that he brings, the hope that he brought then, the hope that he brings today goes beyond possessions. It goes beyond power. It goes beyond politics. It goes beyond the economy. It's eternal. And we have that same hope today. We have the ability to bring that hope to the world around us today, this world that I just painted a little bit of a picture for. We have that, that responsibility. We have that opportunity to point others to that hope that goes beyond our circumstances. Our mission in life is not to set ourselves up more comfortably. It's not to live safe little lives that achieve this, accomplish this, gain this, produce this, protect each other, live safe lives, gathering all these things that will fade away. Our mission is to love others well and to take them with us on the journey as we follow God in faith, as we take risks, as we lead others to knowing Him. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus introduces us to what I think is His mission statement, what is His vision statement, what is His purpose statement. And if we are truly meant to live the life that our Purpose statement as a church says, which is what? Together for Christ with the gospel to the world. Our old statement was reaching out to share God's love, so you can use either of those. If we're going to live those out, then Jesus' mission statement, Jesus' vision statement, what he talks about in Luke chapter 4, has to become our own vision statement, our own mission, our own 
purpose if we are going to live together for Christ with the gospel to the world. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21 is where I want to be this morning if you want to turn over to that. And just to give you some background, Jesus has just been tempted at the beginning of Luke 4, out in the wilderness, tempted, and he's come through that temptation. And news spreads about him, and he returns to Galilee, and he starts teaching in, the, in, the, in that area, uh, in the synagogues. And then in verse 16, he returns to Nazareth, which is where he had grown up. So the hometown boys come back. And at first, they're super impressed. At first, they're marveling at his teaching. But by the end of the chapter, somewhere around verse 28, he's driven out of the city. He's driven out of his hometown. He's rejected. He's pushed away. But in the meantime, he reads from a passage in Isaiah in the synagogue. And he claims to be the fulfillment of that. And he says, what we read here, I am the fulfillment of that. It's being fulfilled in front of you today. And what he's doing is claiming to be the fulfillment of this ancient prophecy through his life, through his existence, through what he does. And he's sharing his mission. He's sharing his vision. He's sharing his purpose. And he's giving us a template for, for what our lives are meant to be about, for what our mission should be as followers of Christ individually and collectively as a church. There's a quote that I read in a book last year by a guy named Joe Thorne, and the book was called The Life of the Church. And this is what he says. Too often the church is thought of as an isolated entity, the frozen chosen. It functions more like a holy huddle than a city on a hill whose light shines before the world in a way that unbelievers Uh, that unbelievers are won over by our words and our works of grace. The church was never intended to be a retreat for the redeemed, but rather a missionary movement that walks boldly into the world to which it has been sent. This is great. Having us here this morning, having a youth group on Wednesday night, having a children's ministry and a preschool ministry and a mission team and all that is great. But what happens beyond these walls shows whether we get what happens in here whether we get what Jesus really wants from us. So Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, says this, Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in the synagogues, being praised by everyone. So there's where they love him at that point. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. God, I pray that as we look at Jesus' mission, that it would become our mission. As we look at what mattered to Jesus, that it would matter to us. And that as we go from these walls and these doors and this building, that we would live sent, that we would be on mission for you, that we would be not just some holy huddle, some retreat for the redeemed, but a truly sent people on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled this morning's message, On Mission or On a Mission, and this was the passage that was drawn to my heart anyway when I was first asked to preach this morning. By the way, in case you didn't know, Brett is a part of that team that's in Chicago. That's why he's not here this morning. Um, but I thought the timing of it with 
that team in Chicago made this even more appropriate, made this even more timely for us to talk about. Because it's easy for us sometimes to step back and say, oh, that's cool, that mission team went there, or that group did that, or this person did this. And not to see that this is the call on all of us to be on mission for God, to be with Him. We've got that team that's out now. Right before that, you may or may not have known this. I know we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but Jim Lavender was in Nebraska for 10 days before that doing disaster relief through the Arkansas Baptist State Convention and actually drove from Nebraska last Wednesday to Chicago to meet up with this team. And I don't say that to brag on Jim or even to brag on the team that we've got, but man, we need to celebrate those things as a church. We need to celebrate when people are doing stuff for Jesus, when things are happening in the life of this church, when things are happening beyond these walls. So I want to talk about this passage. I want to talk about Jesus' mission. And the first thing, if you want to take notes, point number one, is that Jesus' mission comes from the Father. It comes from the Father. The passage begins with the statement, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And then it says, He has anointed me. And then it says, He has sent me. Jesus didn't just decide one day, oh, you know what, I think this sounds cool, I'll go do this. It isn't something he decided on his own volition, but because God the Father ordained it, because God the Father said, this is what you are to do. And so he was empowered and he was equipped to, to be sent out to do the job that he was called to do. And in the same manner, the things that God has called us to do, together for Christ with the gospel to the world, the mission statements that we have here, he doesn't send us out to do them on our own, and we couldn't anyway. We would fail in our own power if we did it in our own power. He sends us out with His power. He sends us out with His anointing. He sends us out with His backing. It isn't our dream, but it's His dream for His followers with His power backing it. In Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission, it starts off by saying, all authority has been given to me. In Acts 1-8, the other Great Commission type statement, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And it's important to realize that both of those key passages for Christian faith don't begin with us. It begins with the authority of Jesus. It begins with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we accomplish things. That's how we live the mission that we're meant to live for Christ as a church and as believers. So the question becomes, whose mission are we living for? Is it ours or is it God's? Is it for our glory and the glory of London First Baptist Church and so we can pat ourselves on the back? Or is it because we truly believe that God is already at work in people and we want to join Him? Our job is to find where God is at work, to connect with them, to be Christ to them, to join His work. It isn't our dream. It isn't our vision. It's His. Why don't we more regularly embrace God's mission? Because we know these things and we hear the Great Commission. My youth group has heard it a million times, especially if they've gone on mission trips with us, and especially if they've been there at all this semester because we've been talking about this a lot. Why don't we embrace God's mission? Because we have our own mission. We have our own agenda. We have our own ideas. We have our own way of calling the shots, and we want it our way. Burger King says you can have it your way. Nike says just do it. And a lot of times that's the way that we live as believers, right? We like to decide what's meaningful. We like to order our lives around what we want to do. We like to be the boss of our own lives. But if we're ever going to be a people for the kingdom of God, it has to push aside our kingdom and let go of our kingdom to get swept up into the kingdom of God. 
Luke 9.23 has been one of our purpose statements as a youth ministry for the entire time I've been here. And it says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself. That means daily we push aside what we want. We push aside our dreams. We push aside our hopes and climbing the corporate ladder and being this person and being successful and being this and that if it's in opposition to what God wants from us. We have to let go of our own kingdoms. We have to let go of our own missions. A life on mission is a calling of abandonment. It's a calling to surrender. It's setting aside my preferences for God's mission. Some of you guys were around when we did the purpose-driven life study as a church. What are the first words of the purpose-driven life? It's not about us. Yeah, It's not about us. And God's mission is not about us. We live in a culture that's all about us, right? The selfie generation. I have a Google Pixel phone. Google Pixel phone, supposedly you can say, okay, Google, take a selfie. And it does it. I haven't done it. But supposedly you can do that. I just saw a commercial again yesterday. It reminded me of that. We live in a culture that's about self-promotion. And what can I do for me? To live on mission for God, we have to get past our personal preferences, past our comforts, and take Christ to our culture and engage it so we can reach it for the cause of Christ. But we get so easily distracted. We get so easily pulled away. We get so easily pulled aside from the mission that we have. Following God's mission has to be so ingrained in our DNA that it's a part of who we are. It's a part of every aspect of our lives. The Bible paints this picture where we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority of Jesus to literally storm the gates of hell. To literally conquer that with His authority, Holy Spirit's power behind us. And yet I read somewhere years ago where someone said instead of storming the gates of hell, the church of God tends to go after people with a water pistol. We have the greatest power there is behind us. We go back to the Great Commission. We go. We don't stay. We make disciples, not just converts or statistics. We take it to the nations, which by the way means all nations, all people groups. We've been talking about this a lot in my youth group because we started something this semester we do a prayer emphasis within our hour or so of youth group. We pray specifically for a church planner or missionary friend of mine, which I have a lot of connections to those guys, so it's been really cool to do that on a personal level. But we also pray for an unreached people group. There's an app you can get on your phone that daily has a reminder to pray for an unreached people group. What an unreached people group is, is a country or a group of people within a country who have little to no access to the gospel. And it's heartbreaking to throw up on the screen the statistics where it says 0% Christian in certain countries. 0% Christian. Do you understand what that means? Nobody. No access to the gospel. And yet we're called to take it to the nations, to all people groups. And then we baptize. It's a symbol of new life within. And we teach and equip so they can become reproducers, so they can become a part of a movement that replicates itself. We've talked about that a lot this semester in youth group. As we talked about discipleship, one of the goals is being a multiplier. You make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. When that happens, it's a pretty cool thing, by the way. It becomes viral, and you see growth, and you see crazy cool things happen. We teach and equip so they can become reproducers, so they can become part of a movement in the community, not just of some self-preserving institution. And we can't give excuses. Because what do excuses do? They take the focus off 
of God and off of his mission and put it on who? Us, the person in the mirror. It makes it about self. So we have to get self out of the way. We have to get our egos out of the way. We have to push aside our puny thoughts of what God can and can't do and realize that we have the maker of the universe at our disposal and his power behind us and we can do all things through Christ. We're the hands and feet of Christ to the world. We act and live in such a way that the mission of God is visible through us, through our actions, and through our words. So Jesus' mission comes from the Father. Second thing, Jesus' mission always focuses on the good news. You go back to that passage from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Proclaim good news. Proclaim liberty to the captives. The year of the Lord's favor. All of those are good news. All of those are happy things. All of those are things that are good. Things worth celebrating. And they make clear that Jesus would point always to the good news of the gospel in everything that he did. In the same way, we're responsible for doing whatever we can in the places we are and in the lifetime we have to show and share the good news so people will see there's hope. So people will see there's rescue. So people will see there's remedy. So people will see there's healing and there's salvation. And that's not found in the things that they're chasing. It's not found in the things that typical person in society is trying to find their meaning in. You look at the book of Ecclesiastes, which has become over time one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. And I think God gave us the book of Ecclesiastes to say, I know you're probably going to do it anyway, but you're an idiot if you chase after these things because here's what happens when that happens. Because what does he say time and time again when Solomon or the king or the wise person, whatever you want to call him in Ecclesiastes, when he's chasing after these things, what does he say time and time again? Chasing after the wind. Or maybe it's like a dog chasing its tail and they never catch it, right? You ever seen a kid trying to chase the wind? (laughs) You're never going to get it. And all of those other things are going to leave us hollow and empty. Relationships, success, popularity, all of those things are going to leave us empty. The hope, the rescue, the remedy that we have comes into people in their personal situations, in their emotional situations, in their spiritual situations, in their social situations, in their political situations, in the real conditions of people in their real lives in the real world. I read this in a book called Life on Mission a few years ago. And he said it like this. He said, The gospel cannot be an escapist, pie-in-the-sky gospel. It must be acquainted with pain, roughened by grit, and smelling like marginalized people. It enters the world and its brokenness with the promise of rescue, a promise of deliverance. It comes to people in their barrenness and in their misery, and it gives life. We're tasked to find beggars and help them find bread. We're tasked to find lepers and help them find healing. Do we have that kind of passion for people? Do we have that kind of urgency, that kind of priority for the people around us, the people in our lives? Are our lives pointing to Jesus? Are our lives showing and sharing the good news? Are we being and bringing the good news to the world around us? Good news to the poor. Release to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set free the oppressed. The year of the Lord's favor. Those are the things that Jesus said his message would entail, his life would entail, and those are good news. When we talk about the gospel, we talk about good news in youth group a lot. I always use 
variations of illustrations talking about if you've, got a, if you've made a good grade on something, what do you want to do? You want to tell people. If you win a big game, what do you want to do? You want to tell people. If you've got a new boyfriend or girlfriend, what do you want to do? You're on the phone telling people. You're posting it all over social media, right? We have the good news. We have the best news that there is. And we're not just out there looking for converts. And we're not just out there looking for inflated statistics. We're looking for people to come to love, know, want, and follow Jesus with their lives. And we have to come to a place of being willing to do whatever it takes to reach them. Across the street, across the tracks, and across the world. Jesus' mission came from the Father. It focuses on the good news. And Jesus' mission changes people. It changes people. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed, they were changed by the message of the gospel. We've been going through the book of Acts this semester in youth group, and one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible is in Acts chapter 2. We just talked about this again last week. At the end of Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people come to know Christ. And then those 3,000 people start meeting together as what really is the launch of the early church, and they're sharing everything together. They're fellowshipping, teaching, singing, worshiping, all these things together. And at the end of chapter 2, a few verses earlier, it talks about 3,000 people being saved. And then it says, and the Lord was adding to their number daily. The 3,000 people thing is cool, but in my mind, I think the daily thing might be cooler. I mean, if you look around the stream, we've got a lot of empty chairs. What if the Lord was doing that in our midst? Could we handle it? <laughs> Because the mission of God changes people. We live in places that are full of pain, full of brokenness. Whether we can tangibly see it or not. And a lot of times we tend to isolate ourselves and we don't want to see it. And we want to turn a blind eye. and We want to turn a deaf ear from the cries of those around us. But Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. He came to give his life for other people. He didn't come for his own agenda. He didn't come for his own mission. He came for the Father's mission and a mission that would change people. People all around us are hurting. People all around us are broken. The homeless person with no place to stay who's cold and his situation has all kinds of tangible needs, but also the wealthy CEO in the gated community who's searching endlessly for worth and value. And the teenager who struggles with, sit, with fitting in and the elderly person who feels completely alone. Completely different conditions, completely different situations, but all need someone to have compassion for them. All need someone to care for them and to bring them hope and to bring them good news. We're going to do something different this summer with my youth group, and I've kind of told them a little bit about it, and I finally got it totally lined out on Thursday of this week. But on Wednesday nights, instead of meeting and me teaching and all of that kind of stuff, we're actually going to go out like we used to do during the um, BBS stuff until last year. Last year, we brought the youth back in to start helping. But before that, we were sending the youth out and doing community missions. Five Wednesday nights this summer, our youth are going to meet here. They're going to um, eat and hang out and have fun together. And then we're going to go out and serve in places like Choices Pregnancy Center or Joseph's House, which is a foster care place, uh, or RVAC, which deals with poverty in eight counties around us. Um, there's some awesome, awesome opportunities out there. And I love the idea. I love the idea of sending them out to serve. In the book, Life on Mission, the authors make this statement, and it ties into what Jesus is saying here. The wayward are not lost forever. 
King Jesus seeks them and finds them. The traitors are not hopeless. King Jesus reconciles them. The prisoners are not left in despair. King Jesus breaks the chains of sin and grants freedom and comfort. The poor and brokenhearted are not left by the wayside. King Jesus restores them through kindness and transforms them to be spiritually rich. Good news for the poor. Hope for the captives. Freedom for the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Liberty to the oppressed. Salvation is life transformation. The gospel, the mission we have, changes people's lives. It changes us for eternity. We're saved to live in eternity with God, with Jesus. But we're also saved and transformed in this life as well. It changes us that while we're on earth, instead of just existing, instead of just going through the motions and showing up at church once or twice or three times a week, we really get it and we really live life and we really are empowered to do kingdom work while we're here on earth. When we grasp how much God has given us as recipients of his grace, we'll want to give back to him. We'll see the needs in our world and we'll want to work for him and we'll want to be a part of his mission on earth. Ed Stetzer used to work for Lifeway. Now he's uh, got a church plant in Illinois somewhere, I think. Um, But he made a statement years ago that I loved. He said, the role of a church member isn't just to pay, pray, and get out of the way. It isn't just to pay, pray, and get out of the way. We've got a task. We've got a job to do, and we're running out of time to do it. Uh, Someone named Lorna Bias said this, Opportunities to join God's work are abundant and not confined to pastors, church planners, or church staff. Scripture holds up many roles in building the kingdom on earth. This informs and commissions every believer today. J.D. Greer is the pastor of Summit Church in North Carolina, and he's also the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And in a book called The Gospel, uh, several years ago, he wrote about this, and it's a, kind of a mission statement for their church. Whatever you're good at, do it well to the glory of God. Do it somewhere strategic for the glory of God. The question is no longer if you are called, but where and to whom. Whatever you're good at, whatever talents you have, whatever resources you have. We talked about this in my Sunday school class this morning about leveraging our resources, about together we can do more, about God has gifted each of us differently and through a church and through a setting like this, we can do more for the kingdom with the talents we have, with the resources we have. Every believer is called to live life on mission. So the first place we have to start is this. Are you truly a believer? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you found salvation? Have you found this good news in your life? And if you haven't this morning, I would love the opportunity to help you find that. I would love the opportunity to help you know for certain that you belong to Jesus. If you are, most of the people in the room would say that they are. Here's the deal, and here's how we wrap this up. No follower of Christ is exempt from using the gifts that God has given for building his kingdom. You may not be a pastor, You may not be a church planner. You may not be a missionary, but you're called to be something. God has uniquely gifted and equipped you to use your gifts for his kingdom's sake. The question is, are you willing to live out your calling? The mission of God requires that believers leverage their lives for his glory. The Great Commission is not just for some select few. It's the entirety of the church. The movement of God's mission sweeps across our everyday ordinary lives and calls out and draws in businessmen and soccer moms and grandmothers and neighbors and students and lawyers and teachers and baristas and contractors and more. Regular people like you and regular people like me. Filled with the Spirit of God, laying down our lives, denying ourselves for the mission of God and the good of others. 
God's mission is to take what is broken and redeem it, not just make it better, but make it new. And the exciting thing is that God invites us to follow him into this broken world as we live life on mission. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on does, regardless of your location, regardless of your vocation. Charles Spurgeon once said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So the question for us today is, which one are we? Am I a missionary or am I an imposter? It has to become so ingrained into our beings, into our very DNA, that we're on mission for God. That the good news that Jesus loves me, this I know, is true for every person alive, and that if we belong to God, we're sent on mission for Him. Every believer has a role. Your life is too valuable, your calling is too great, and your God is too good to waste your life doing what doesn't matter. We're not just in some waiting room until we get to heaven. We're here to help bring heaven to earth.